Hi, this is Courtney Taylor Taylor from the Dandy Warhols. You're listening to the New Wave Podcast. Welcome back to the New Wave Music Podcast. This is Steve. I'm usually joined by T-Bone. He is not able to make it. He's on assignment. However, today I'm joined by a very special guest whose songs you're going to recognize, such as Balloon Man. So you think you're in love. So you think you're in love. Yes, you probably are. But you want to be straight about it. Oh, you got to be straight about it now. And Madonna of the Wasps. Lost Madonna of the Wasps. She's lying in the cross. I wonder what she calls me. That's right. Our guest today is Mr. Robin Hitchcock. Robin, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's a pleasure, Steve. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing today, Robin? I am totally still here. Yeah. Uh, so just a couple of questions before we really jump in and talk about your new album. Uh-huh. At what age did you start playing music? 14 was when I first got my guitar, got my first guitar, and I guess I'd learned to tune it by the time I was 15 so i've been doing it for 55 years pretty much and you're doing a great job at it well uh, thank you yeah besides it being a stellar a career to be a musician what what drove you to be to want to be a musician music really just um what was around you know the the usual suspects um the beatles and Bob Dylan. So in the mid seventies, yeah. you formed the influ- influential band, the soft boys have had yes. you music before then, or is that your real introduction to the music business? Oh, I'd been playing music for uh boy. Well, nearly 10 years, but that time we formed the soft boys. That was 76. Um, but I hadn't done anything professionally. I just played in folk clubs and I'd had my art school band and I'd played with an old friend from school and I'd, I hadn't really, yeah, I hadn't done anything professionally, but I'd been playing a lot. I'd been writing lots of terrible songs. And I'd been dragging everybody I could find and all my roommates and whoever was around into joining me on stage in folk clubs or being in some version of a band or other. Um, so I got through a lot of friends one way or another. Um, yeah, the soft voice was the first thing that 
you know, the first time I got to make a record and the first time I got to actually start getting paid for public appearances and that. Yeah. Nice. Uh, well, your music style is certainly hard to pigeonhole. You're probably, you're probably, most of our listeners would probably put you in the new wave sound from your late 80s, early 90s albums. How would you describe your sound either then or now? Well, the sound of the records that I made, and I suppose still make, um, is really, it's all Beatle music. It's all music that could have been on the White Album. You know, sometimes it's quiet, sometimes it's loud. Uh, it's always melodic. It's always written to the same rules that the Beatles have versus verse, chorus, middle eight, that kind of thing. Um, the sound of it and the structure of the songs is very much derived from the Beatles, who I think are, are now acknowledged or still acknowledged as, you know, the the greatest group the world has ever produced. So I'm really happy to surf their coattails in that way. Well, you've been very prolific in the in throughout the 2000s, uh, but it was five years between the album of your own name and this one. Was it just, where you just oh, yeah. need to take some time off or was it creative block? What, what kind of was the delay with the, from the album to the next album? Oh, uh, well, it started that I didn't really finish any songs. I don't know if that was a creative block or just a focusing issues. Um, but I was on tour a lot, so I, I didn't really, um, I would always, I was moving around so much. Maybe I just wasn't settled enough to finish anything. And then, um, I did start finishing things and then the pandemic struck so I couldn't go anywhere. So I made Shuffle Mania at home in Nashville um, and I emailed it out to various friends around the world, mus musical friends, frolleagues, people that I had played with before or knew of and they overdubbed it. They overdubbed on it and then I sometimes sent it off to other ones. So some songs went to two or three people, you know, and then they all got mixed. But uh, another reason it was, it took five years was because it took uh, the, the amount of time it takes to press uh, vinyl records. It was about a 10 month delay. So actually Shuffle Mania came out last October, but I think it was, the music was finished Oh God! Eighteen months before that, you know, it 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 was mostly done by the beginning of twenty twenty one. So, just add an extra year on for you know manufacturing. Yep, seems like that's getting more and more delayed for that vinyl. It is. We found some. Uh, we have found some people who would do it much faster. It's slightly more expensive, but but. Uh, we're going to use that for upcoming projects, yeah, nice. just to, to cut that delay. So let's talk about your new album, Shuffle Mania. I oh, counted yeah. this being your 22nd album. Is uh, it? Wow, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, do you ever stop making albums? I mean, you've got a great catalog. Well, it's what I wanted to do. When I realized I wanted to make music, uh, when I was 16 17 you know I, I realized i was gonna this is what that was the thing i most wanted to do i didn't know if i was going to succeed 
And certainly in those days, it was the ambition of a lot of young people who'd marinated themselves in Bob Dylan and the Beatles and the Grateful Dead and Neil Young and Crosby, Stills and Nash and all of that, you know. Uh, it was it was a kind of noble aspiration for a young person. Very it was very much it was a lot lot of very male in those days. There was still a lot more boys than girls going into it, but that was the goal. And um, and I thought, well, I just want to make albums. You know, I I thought if I make albums, you know, well, Rod Stewart makes albums. He must be happy. Um, my, my reasoning was very simple. You know, I just thought, well. That must that must be that's that would solve whatever problems there are. All you got to do is make albums and you'll be happy. I mean, I'm not sure where I got that idea from, because you could see plenty of people who made albums and were very successful and weren't happy at all, like John Lennon or Bob Dylan, two of the greats, you know, um, or, or Sid Barrett, another hero of mine, the man who started Pink Floyd. Um, yeah, none of them were happy. <laughs> Nonetheless, I thought, well, if I do this, I'll be all right. So I started making, you know, writing songs. And I don't think I, oh, God, I don't know how old I was when the first Soft Boys album came out, 24, 25. I wasn't happy at all, but um, but I'd done it. And then I just, I just kept at it, you know. You just leave a trail really <laughs> so with the new album it's called shuffle mania i gotta ask is there a is there a story behind the the title of the album the shuffle mania is is the chorus from the first track the shuffle man mm -hmm. and the shuffle man is really what i call the the imp of chance or the imp of change uh he is the he's like a a dealer a, a card dealer you know he hands you hands you a set set of random cards and um you have to make sense of them they have to you have to kind of make them into a sequence that makes sense you you this is you know chance deals you this hand and you have to kind of somehow make a story work out what the sequence has to be but it but it seems completely chaotic and i think the shruff, the shuffle man is the He's an imp. He's mischievous. He enjoys playing with your destiny and and kind of teasing you with it as well. So if you make the right decisions, you might do well. And if you don't, you might do not do well at all. And look, here's a random set of, as they say, cards you've been dealt. Well, he was dealt a bad hand, you know, whatever it is. But to me, the shuffle man is what deals you the hand. And then you have to try and make sense of it. But he's like a, a superhero or a supervillain. And there's there's quite a few, you know, there's more of them um, on that record in various shapes or forms. There's Sir Tommy Shovel, who's a, a sort of old English, an imaginary old English lord and an imaginary old British pub. And um, there's Socrates, the philosopher, and there's the, Kulkulkan, the Mexican flying serpent god. Um, and then there's the Scorpio detective on the second track. But they're all they're all kind of they're sort of like superheroes or supervillains. Maybe the shuffle man's a supervillain. I don't know. I, I could see them all as cartoon characters. I could sort of more or less draw them. Um and they 
it all coalesces under shuffle mania, you know, making sense of the random. Um, and I think things were particularly random at that point because I began writing, finishing songs again for no apparent reason. And then I was shut at home. So I made the record and it, and we got moved over to London and then we're going to move back to Nashville. And it all seems really chaotic. You know, also you shuffle. I mean, old people shuffle. I'm turning 70 in a couple of months. And uh, so I'm really reaching the stage where I'd be shuffling. But um, but I'm still shuffling like a maniac, you know. I've still got to go all around the world. If I'm not confined by um, the pandemic or by being sick, I, I my my role is to just keep manically shuffling from one place to another so in a different sense i'm a shuffle man so there you are there's far more explanation than you need love that explanation i love the uh you're cut you're right i can see all those characters in your song as as cartoon characters and the definition of they're all superheroes or super villains that's just a great way to put it you mentioned earlier that you recorded the album during the pandemic lockdown many artists that we've talked to have said that they liked working with the band with their band members in person but they did find advantages of not being in the same room during the recording process. What are your thoughts on remote uh, recording? Well, I think recording actually has been remote in one way or another since people started doing overdubs, uh, you know, right back in the 60s. I remember being really shocked to hear that the Beatles recorded their backing tracks and then did the vocals separately. I thought it all happened at once. But, you know, even back then, people were playing and singing separately. And as soon as you got multi-track recording um, and you got separation booths so that the bass player could do their bass part again, if it, you know, if they wanted to, or the guitarist could replace what they'd done, you got the beginnings of records really being made separately not being made by an organic group of people all playing together um and i do love playing in a band and recording and that thing of yeah we've got the take this is fabulous but um you know again going back to the beatles very often you find that actually you know ticket to ride was actually a compilation of three different takes that were stuck together so Making a record by long distance is the kind of logical extension of that. I send somebody a, a recording of me singing and playing guitar, and then they put bass and drums underneath it, and then somebody else puts piano or whatever, you know. Um, it's mixed so it sounds like we're all in the same room. Um, if you listen to uh, something like, I don't know that well, a lot of those things like the raging muse. I think the, the guitar and voice was done. I did those at home and then somebody else did the, the bass and somebody else did the drums, but they were both at, at, at their own homes in Nashville. And then, and then Davy Lane played the guitar in Melbourne and then it got all sent back to Cardiff where Charlie Francis played the piano and mixed it. So it had been in three different continents, but actually it sort of sounds like a, sounds reasonably like a band 
You know? Yeah, it, do, it does on the album. And I know you have some co- contributions from some top artists, such as Johnny Marr on the track, The Inner Life of Scorpio. Nobody's escaping The inner life of Scorpio To Sean Lennon on The Feathery Serpent God. I'm assuming they sent their parts in remotely as well. Oh, yeah. I didn't see anybody. I mean, I didn't see anybody until I didn't even see Charlie while he was mixing it. You know, the whole thing. I've never done that before. I've never done a record where I haven't set foot in the mixing room. But actually, it makes sense because it then gets sent down the line. I mean, it's amazing how technology and the pandemic work together. If the pandemic had happened 15 years previously, in the days of dial-up, um, things would have been chaotic, you know, or if it happened 25 years before the, you know, before the internet, before there was, before everybody had a cell phone, it would have been very difficult to to navigate. But what the pandemic, one of the things that the pandemic seemed to do was simply accelerate our reliance on internet technology you know people all started meeting up by zoom mm-hmm. you started you got used to seeing people that weren't in front of you so the pandemic just kind of accelerated that process um, so this question could apply to a lot of your music but listening to shuffle mania many songs such as the shuffle man don't forget to And the Raging Muse. The Raging Muse. With her head open wide. My heavenly bride. Sound like the Beatles on psychedelics. Look, talking oh, to yeah. you already, I can, I can, it's safe to assume the Beatles were a huge influence on you. Well, I think, like I said at the beginning, um, everything I did would fit on the white album now that is a very eclectic record and you know almost any rock music or indie music has some kind of connection to the white album because there are so many different styles on it really from metal to folk and via music hall and whatever passes for psychedelia yeah my favorite pretty much my favorite pop record and certainly my favorite Beatles record is uh Revolver uh by the Beatles and Tomorrow Never Knows kind of set the template for psychedelic music. Arguably music has never been any more psychedelic than that. Um I've never tried to do anything as as experimental as that. But yeah, you know, I I'm not really trying to invent any kind of music that the Beatles haven't already invented, which is probably kind of lazy or unadventurous on my part. I'd probably be I'd probably be better known if I'd actually kind of 
challenged all that and said, well, the Beatles did all that. I'm going to do something else. But I was so in love with that kind of music, not just the Beatles, but, you know, the early Floyd and Dylan at his 60s height and all the stuff that I've gone on about in interviews for decades, really. But that music hasn't gone away. It's still at the top of a lot of critics' charts and musicians all seem to go back to that. You know, they go back to Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys and Revolver and Blonde on Blonde and Are You Experienced, Piper at the Gates of Dawn and and so on. The litany is endless, but uh, I never really thought of trying to improve on that or go somewhere they didn't go. I just thought, oh, I love all this. I'm just going to play that kind of thing. And I probably should have been a bit more ambitious in a way, but I suppose I didn't really, I didn't really care. I just wanted to produce that kind of music, you know. But I, you know, a lot of musicians are basically fangirls or fanboys, and I'm definitely one of them. You know, you generally you'll, you'll find out that they all they all wish they all wish they'd been somebody else. Well, Shuffle Mania, in my opinion, is an outstanding album. I love how each song has a life of its own. In particular, I love the song Socrates and Air. He had a little copper and lock, and he counted up to nine. Socrates, infinite Everything from the melody to the lyrics. I also really love the, the track Midnight Train to Nowhere. How the vocals oh, yeah. flow with that harmonica throughout that song is just an album highlight. Um, listening to what you've been saying, I can see a, definitely the Dylan reference in that uh, in inspiration in that song. Recording this album, did you have a particular track that stood out to you? Uh, we did Socrates in Thin Air. Actually, that was done at Abbey Road. That was the only one done in a proper studio. And everybody was masked up. But we came over here and um, Emma's record Blonde on the Tracks had sold very well, so we had a bit of money, and we thought, oh, right, we're going to Abbey Road for two days. And and we did Socrates in Thin Air and a few vocals. That said, the drums were done in Texas, and the guitars were done by Kimberly Rue in Cambridge. Yeah, I, I mean, oh, God, I think my favourite song is probably The Man Who Loves the Rain. Uh I started in Nashville and then got that got overdubbed in a few places. I think the vocal for that was done at Abbey Road, actually. Uh, God, that's that. I, I I like that. That was one of the one of the later ones that I wrote. And, that, that is a great song. I really love the lyrics on there. Respect you. the dead. You'll be joining them soon. Uh, from that from that beautiful song. Can you tell us a little bit more about that track? That track comes from a list of titles that the author Raymond Chandler had. I guess he he did what 
I do, which is I often write lists of titles, but I don't always write the songs. But I like if I think of a title, I write it down. So I've, you know, the front and back pages of my notebooks are often just full of titles. So a writer named Gina Arnold, who's based in San Francisco, put something on the internet about would anyone like to write a song or a story or a play based on this uh rain but basically she, she put up a list of raymond chandler titles about 10 or 15 of stories that he'd never written or never finished and i saw it was called the man who loved the rain and i've just changed it into the man who loves the rain and um so that's where the song you know once i I just got the title. It's so it's so much easier to write a song if you've got a title, and um and I just you know pinch somebody else's for a change, but um, uh, and I was really pleased with that. It came out fully formed. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Uh, the the other song on the album, the Sir Tommy Shovel, is a great song about an imaginary pub down the street. Have you ever yeah. thought about opening your own pub? <laughs> well, since we got back to London, we found a few, Emma and I have found a few places that would make a great the Sir Tommy shovel. <laughs> um, I wouldn't mind having a pub that I could, I could call my own. I could go into after hours and have my own drinks there, um, or have parties in. You know, like a little stage in the corner would be brilliant. You could just get all your friends up and and just sort of drift off into eternity playing pub rock. I think there's quite a few people of my age and situation who would quite like to do that. But the mechanics of actually running a pub would drive me nuts. God, <laughs> you've got to be very earthed and centered to do that. So looking on your website, it looks like you have some upcoming tour dates at the end of February. You're playing in the UK and Dublin, and then it looks like yes. in the middle of March through the first part of April, you're hitting the U.S. for a tour. How I has the reception been for the new songs playing them live? Really good, actually. More better than I would have expected because when you're um, when you've been going as long as I have, the people that come and see you often go back 30, 35 years, and so what they want to hear. What they love hearing is songs that take them back to being 15. Like I get when I hear Revolver or Highway 61, you know, they, if I sing The Queen of Eyes or I Want to Destroy You or Balloon Man or, you know, some, something, some old piece of mine from, from the way back in the 1980s, they like that, it, you know, that, that, strokes their trout it kind of makes them feel feel young inside <laughs> and i guess also the younger people who come along who are mostly sort of music student types or they've got into it because their parents used to listen to me um but you, now stuff is on youtube you know you can you can delve back so the younger people also tend to like the old stuff because they probably what they've researched you know 
So um, I'm no, I don't expect people to get too excited if I play a new song. Um, and if you want people to like your new album, the less you play off it, the better. So I, you know, if I put a couple of songs in from Shuffle Mania and they go down well, I think that's that's good. It'll be for sale in the merch booth in the corner, which is the last available retail outlet known to the modern recording artist, apart from mail order so, and Amazon. I don't know. Did you grow? Was Tower Records going when you were growing up? Or was that all? Was that after? No, Tower was was a big was a big store back in my day. So you remember that as a as a kid? Yeah, I do. Yeah, and I also was yeah. lucky to have a couple independent uh, record stores that I hung out with, and in those, and discovering lots of new artists from what they were spinning, and just kind of being in that environment where kids, I don't think today, really get that exposure no. to bands. No, was that in Salt Lake City? Yes, but the whole age of um, you know Tower, and and then that the, oh God, there was that bookstore that that had for a while had CDs. That's probably all gone now. Um, I can't remember. It was Chain came up in the nineties. Sam Goodies and all of that, oh, yeah. you know. But they that kind of came up. I probably started it was probably started before I started touring the states, but certainly when I was active in the sort of mid eighties to the, the my my twentieth century time in the states at the end of the twentieth century that 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 was how you sold records. Yeah, and that's um, that's actually how I discovered your music. Was us in the music store got recommendations? Hey, if you like this artist, you need to check out Robin Hitchcock and the Egyptians. Well, it, it all sort of fitted. You know, and there, there was that 80s, there was a kind of 80s version of jangle rock. I mean, the, when the, that, that element that we had in the Soft Boys, and particularly on the Queen of Eyes. Blinking on and off, it's the Queen of Eyes, with a caribou shell and her black face thighs. I don't know why she never gets anywhere with you. The double tracked harmonies and the sort of double tracked electric guitars pinging away, um, which, which was descended from the birds. And then that kind of went over to, we, we were playing it. And then I suppose quite a few of the American acts, REM and, and the replacements and quite a few of the West Coast groups. Yeah, sorry, well, I'm, I'm drifting off about all this. It's, okay. it's that, that sort of spangle rock stuff. Although Tom Petty was playing it as well before the Soft Boys were. I mean, it, it's just that it, it's all it sort of comes from Buddy Holly, I think, and uh-huh. goes right the way up. He was the first. He was the first jangle rocker, and the Beatles doing Buddy Holly songs, "Word of Love," "Words of Love." That's got a terrific pinging kind of guitar tone, and then. But anyway, it was just that seam of of guitar music, yeah. And the, and then the '80s people, I guess the Bunny Men were probably into that um, more than Cope. But it was that that sort of thing. But but it had a big old by the '80s, by the mid '80s, everybody had this big snare sound. The drum, the snare drum, which had been quite small in the '60s became the dominant sound the smiths particularly johnny what johnny Marr mm-hmm. did and johnny johnny's guitars were kind of 
panned out to one side and put through chorus units. So he was jangling away, but it it was all kind of quite treated. It wasn't as in your in your ears as as it was in the sixties. It's just funny how that sound changed. Um, it mutated, but yeah, no, he was another one. Johnny was, and he's on my record. Although actually, what he's mostly playing is he's playing acoustic and uh, drums and piano and things. Yeah, and it's a great contribution. And like I said, uh, Shuffle Mania is one of the great albums I just recently discovered. Um, it's a well, shame. Someone, it's a shame. That's why we do this podcast is to get exposure to those those bands and artists from the eighties and nineties who have new material because we know you're not getting a lot of exposure through any mainstream outlet. Well, you know, we wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't expect to be on whatever radio is now. I mean, I'm just about to be 70. <laughs> uh, so it's not necessarily what you're going to, I don't know if there is even such a thing as college radio anymore, but I really wouldn't expect to be on it yeah. the way I was 40 years ago. So, um, you know, however people find me is great. It's all, it's all so so fractured now you know things are there isn't any one place people go to for for music at least i think not maybe there is and i just don't know about it because i'm not in you know i don't have my ear to that particular piece of the ground but there doesn't seem to be an equivalent of 120 minutes on mtv or you know and and the music magazines have the weekly british ones have all gone and and there's still still mojo and uncut still still out there um boy but it it mutates um one thing that at least for me my experience that i really appreciated with shuffle mania it's an album that's designed at least i feel that you just need to listen to it it's in, in its entirety and as you discussed at the music industry the music a lot of people are just going in and getting a song here or there or streaming it this is one that i really oh. appreciate is playing from start to finish well, thank you. I think we sequenced it right. I sequenced it, um, but Emma helped out a lot with um, with variations, you know, because you can do so many, there's so many variations of 10 songs, <laughs> combinations. Um, so she made a lot of difference to the the way that, the way it runs. And um, But I think that's the whole point about, making an LP or an album is that it's got to be a, a coherent entertainment rather than just a collection of songs. Um, they don't have to have an overlying theme together, but they've got to, they've got to sit well and they've got to have a cumulative effect. So by the time you're on track seven, you can sort of feel that you're going somewhere rather than just thinking, well, I like the first three songs on side one, but I feel like he's uh, he said all he has to say. So I'm a great believer in saving the best or one of the best for last, just so you've got some real reason to get to the end of the record. I know Dylan used to do that. Uh, so, But thank you. I'm glad you like it. Yeah, that's a great album. So, Robin, what's the best way for our listeners to stay up to date with any uh, tour dates, future albums? Oh, I'm glad you asked me that, Steve. The way to figure, stay abreast of what we're up to, I'm up to, is to either go to my website, which is robinhitchcock.com, which has all the, the latest 
tour dates. But you can also follow me on Instagram, uh, which has a fair amount of that. If I'm up to something, it, it'll usually sell you through Instagram or Facebook. And there's also Tiny Ghost, which is the label that my wife Emma Swift and I run. Emma runs it really. Um, but our both of our records are out on that. So I have a I actually have a new record coming out in March. Uh it'll it'll be announced next week. It's it, it's it's just an instrumental record. There's no vocals on it. I've never done one of those before. So it's like a soundtrack record, a soundtrack for an invisible movie. And it's that's called Life After Infinity, and that's got 11 instrumental tracks on it. So if you like instrumental music or you like my guitar playing, that's the place to go. But I do also have, actually, there's a thing, I have a Patreon, and the Patreon has a lot of um, demos. So if you if you subscribe to Patreon, uh, my Patreon, you can hear loads of old demos new demos you know just me singing covers um trying things out they're all quite quickly recorded um but i think they're i think they're pretty good really so sorry that's about six answers to that question oh no, that's great and i'll be sure to make to link all your social medias your patreon oh, thanks very much in yeah, the show yeah. description so our listeners can find it with ease and follow you well, that's great. We we want that the the tour that we're about to do. Kelly Stoltz is opening up, and uh, the American tour, the tour I'm doing in March and early April. Kelly is opening, and um, but he's also playing drums with me, and on some dates he's playing sitar and piano, and uh, he's based in San Francisco. Uh, and an LA friend of his called Bart Davenport's playing bass, and Kurt Block, who was in the Fastbacks and the Young Fresh Fellows, if you know of them, in Seattle. Kurt, Kurt and I go a long way back. Um, Kurt, the Young Fresh Fellows are Scott McCoy. That's sort of Scott's group. Um, Scott, who is also he was in the latter versions of REM, and he's in the baseball projects and he's in uh lots of things that peter buck does um anyway kurt's part of that mob kurt's playing guitar with me and and so we're doing a, a lot of the dates are are rock dates i don't generally tour with a band so this will be interesting well, nice I, I wish uh you were stopping by where i'm at i'd seen you before but i think it was just you I think it'll just be me probably next time because it's very expensive taking a band around and there's only a few kind of areas I can afford to do it in, unfortunately. Yeah, you know, you can't just sort of put everybody in a van and have them all <laughs> sleep on the floor at this stage. <laughs> right. Well, Robin, I want to thank you so much for joining us today on the, on the New Wave Music Podcast. Oh, thanks have... for having me, Steve. Great yeah, to talk to you. I would highly encourage our listeners to pick up your newest album, Shuffle Mania, and to check out you playing live if, if they're playing in your area in, in this upcoming tour. Lovely. I, I'll be in a lot of places, yeah. Um, thanks very much. Keep warm and look after yourself, Steve. You too. Have a good day. Thanks. Thanks.